Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director, and I'll be hosting this episode. This week, web editor Alex travels to Commons Tea House in Bath to find out all about oolong tea. Later on, I'll be chatting with cookie writer Adam about our chilli sauce obsession. But first up, editorial assistant Ellie travelled to Northcote Manor in Lancashire to chat to chef Lisa Goodwin-Allen about the Obsession Festival, where 21 chefs from all over the world come together for a marathon cooking session. I'm here with Lisa Goodwin-Allen, who is the executive head chef at Northcote. And Obsession Festival is currently taking place and it's in its 18th year now. And so this year, I think 21 chefs will be cooking over 18 nights. And so can you tell us a bit more about Obsession Festival? Yeah, I think the the Obsession Festival is kind of a celebration of um, great chefs coming together. And I think over the years, we've just got more and more world-renowned chefs that have actually come into here, little old Lango, (laughs) you know. And um, I think, you know, it's it's a great thing, and especially for myself and the team in Northcote to be involved in, because you have so many kind of uh, heroes and ambassadors and, you know, amazing up-and-coming chefs that come through the doors, um, you know, and I think it's it's absolutely fantastic. And how... Do the chefs put themselves forward? Because you've got the likes of like Tommy Banks, Jason Afton, um, Daniel Calvert. Do they put themselves forward to do it or do you go out and find them? (laughs) I think there's lots of different ways, really. I think because over the years that Northcote's actually grown with its food and wine festival, it's become quite world renowned now. So you do get the odd people asking to do it and you get people that have been here um, recommending people to come here. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah. you get a lot of them saying, oh, you must get so-and-so and, and, you know, and that's how you get your leaks. Or if we've been out and about cooking somewhere else, we'll we'll see people there and we'll ask them. But a lot of people are uh, knowing more about Obsession now because of the, you know, we've had some amazing people through the door, Um, you know, real ambassadors and, um, you know, fantastic cooks and all all around the world and it's just kind of reputation that it's built up upon itself really yeah um, so the, the all different angles is how we get them yeah and um do the chefs devise a menu specifically for the night like so you're cooking tonight have you are these dishes specifically for this or are they ones that are your like signature dishes yeah, I think, I think when you're devising the menu um, for myself, I think, you know, one thing you do look at is your signature dishes because at the end of the day, you know, it, it's your reputation. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> selling your heart, you know, yeah. to, to the customers to say, this is the food that I love. For me, you know, it's a couple of my signature dishes and also I've um, come up with some new ones as well, so they've never been seen before. Okay. Um, which, again, is exciting because it's kind of exposure that way yeah. to new dishes and also it's coming up with something that's quite different, original um, and quite flamboyant, really. And I guess it's kind of a good opportunity to chefs kind of find that with this festival they can kind of try out some new dishes because it's new customers, they might be trying them on and 
if it doesn't work, then they've done it once and <laughs> yeah, I think it's fine. I, I think a lot of the like guest chefs, they come and they do kind of their signatures because of, especially if they're coming out of the country, they yeah. come here and they kind of want to say, this is what I'm doing in my restaurant. You know, this is my signature dish. This is my style of food. This is how I portray my food. And, um, you know, so it's a great platform that way to bring signatures out. And I'm sure, like, some of them do as well, <laughs> special dishes for the occasion. Um, and throwing in little added extras now and again and stuff like that. And that's kind of like the buzz and the vibe of it. Yeah. And so before I came today, I, it was kind of hard to imagine because you think, you think right, they must, the chefs must come, cook, and that's it. But I've just been around the kitchen, and it's a massive kitchen. And... There are chefs there prepping like days in advance. So they've all got different sections of the kitchen, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, because they're coming like, well, even the local ones come for a bit longer, to be fair. <laughs> I think it's just great the hospitality. <laughs> yeah. I think the greatest thing about these things are the fact of, you're absolutely right, you know, we've got people from Japan that are cooking on Thursday or Friday and they're mm. here now in the kitchen. Uh, you know, Juan Amador's boys that cooked last night, um, yeah. um, they were here two days before. And you know what the brilliant thing about it is when you've got three or four different guest chefs and their helpers in the kitchen, the buzz, the vibe, yeah. the making new friendship, the, the seeing new things, new techniques, new ingredients and that's how it happens yeah and I think people tag on to that and they go oh hospitality is great and you know and it's like one kind of big family kind of yeah. pushing together but yeah you, you get so many interesting bodies and characters in there it's, yeah it's <laughs> I <great>. can imagine <laughs> like when Amador last night for me was um I mean it's only what four days in now but yeah. he was he was like a, a rock star last yeah. night his Ev- food was uh, phenomenal everyone that I've spoken to and ever I've asked them about it they're just speechless they're like I can't even really describe it it was just incredible yeah so. he was and he's like um you know one of those he brought kind of his restaurant to us yeah and did his signature dishes which were which were amazing completely transformed yeah, the kitchen without, into like, his yeah, yeah, no, it was good, it was good. <laughs> and so we've just I've just sat on where they so the sommelier and Nigel kind of taste the menu before the night don't they so is that something you just do for Obsession Festival? Is yeah, that... I mean, it, it is up for Obsession and we do that for a couple of reasons. Is so that um, at the end of the day, we, it's important that we get that food and wine matching right. Yeah. Know? So because we don't know, um, or the sommeliers don't know their dishes, they're just going off the characteristics of the flavours and the menus that the, the chefs say, um, that it's paramount that we kind of give their food justice by accompanying it with the white rind. So that's why... Um, we do the wine tasting and the food tasting at two o'clock. So if there is anything that doesn't match, we've got time to check right. to change it. Yeah. Um, and also it's great for the chefs to see and other people see in the front of house. Yeah. We also do something that was really brilliant is we make um, a kind of description pack Okay. And a, um, a leaflet. So basically at two o'clock they do one of every dish up. It goes to be fog, uh, photographed by Alan Markey, who's our photographer. Yeah. Um, he does amazing pictures and he uh, shoots the plates and then they go into a brochure uh, that we hand make. Wow. Um, and if one of the front of house members sit down with the chefs in the briefing and we get um, all the description of all the tiny little elements of how that dish has come together. So, you know, the cooking degrees or a certain spice they might have used in it or a technique. Yeah. It's all given in a briefing pack and then the front of house get that. So wow. when they're delivering their food, they can really tell a story about who that chef is and, and what his food's like yeah. and how they've made it, which is really important. And I think that's how we try and go to that extra mile on things. Yeah. So that kind of two o'clock session... Yeah. 
yeah. is paramount and really it's important. Really important, um, yeah. But likewise, you know, more and more now here at Northcote, that's what we're trying to do. Like we develop the dishes, we say we're happy with them, we get them wine checked and tasted, and we do a, a full pack again for the, yeah. for the staff, so they've got that. They know what the dishes are, and then the, uh, Alan comes in and professionally takes pictures of them for us. Amazing. So again, we we still have that instilled within Northcote with our day to day working as well. Really, yeah. So, and I was I was looking around the rooms before and everyone that you chat to that's here kind of says that they're here until the early hours of the morning and then they're back again at 8am because it is a con- it is 18 consecutive days, yeah, isn't it? It's, it's like one massive adrenaline yeah. drug. <laughs> and Nigel was saying that a couple of years ago that he had like, you tried it where you had two days out. Yeah. And he was like, it actually made it worse because yeah, you kind you of come, come down yeah, and, and then back you've got up to carry again, on yeah. about it's, it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, but it is kind of one, it's surreal really because yeah. like two days in, you think, oh, crikey, we still got over two weeks <laughs> ago. Not. And then now it's just kind of, you're in it and you're rolling. And I think at one point you take a little bit of a dip, but there's so much going on, so much enthusiasm and passion and it's great to see and it kind of gives you that, that drug, that, that, yeah. that adrenaline drug and then you just come in and you, um, you, you know you go home in the afternoon, come back and it's, it's two o'clock before done. you leave and then all of a sudden your alarm clock's going oh. off again. You know, it's crazy. But So do you, obviously because you're you work here all the time but do the other chefs stay and try the other chefs food is it quite like a support because if you if you say this some people might be thinking oh that sounds a bit competitive 18 chefs cooking but is it more supportive yeah of course it is yeah I mean um what we do is like the guest chefs usually come the night before or sometimes two days before yeah and they actually eat on the night of that chef okay yeah so um Hiroshi's just arrived. Yeah. Um, who's uh, the Japanese and um, he's just arrived. So he's eating on my night tonight and then he'll be eating on Daniel Calvert's tomorrow night because he doesn't cook till Thursday. Okay. Um, so again, you can see how it, how it happens. Yeah. Uh, Juan Amador, he, he ate on um, Jean-Philippe Bonnet from uh, Adore Chester. He ate his food the night before and then he cooked last night. Nice. So you kind of get to come and, you know, yeah. eat each other's food and stuff like that. And and then Juan Amador is staying and uh, he's, he's eating my food tonight. So no pressure. You know? <laughs> no pressure. You've just got to... <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, Lisa. Well, you're more than you welcome. Get, get, let you get back in the kitchen now. Yeah, <laughs> I'd better get some work done. <laughs> thank you so much. We've got some great ideas for the spicy Thai sriracha chilli sauce in our new issue. I caught up with Adam to chat through how to use it. Hi, Adam. Hello. We're here to talk about hot sauce. Certainly are. And in particular, sriracha. Yeah. Can you pronounce sriracha? Well, well, well. I like, it's very, very important to pronounce that first R, sriracha. Sriracha. <laughs> Do you pronounce it? I don't know. What, you say sriracha? I just say sriracha. I thought it was sriracha. It is sriracha, but I'm lazy. Okay. And I just like, if I, if I have a way to shorten anything, I will. So, sriracha. Okay. I think everyone knows the sauce we're talking about yeah. because it's become like really ubiquitous. Another word yeah. I can't say, ubiquitous. Ubiquitous, yeah, ubiquitous, definitely. Yeah. It's absolutely everywhere. Yeah. And something that really, I mean, what, like five years ago? Tent, like you, were, you would only you, normally see it in a Thai restaurant, yeah, kind yeah. of on the table yeah. to add to your food or whatever. Whereas now mm. you can have like little sriracha's for your keyring, and yeah. you know. And I think even the major supermarkets all kind of either sell it or they'll do their own little version yeah, of it own, as well. But never a patch on the on the real thing, though, the is classic it? Classic thing, yeah. It, it just isn't. <clears throat> the reason we're talking about it is because we've written, um, we've got a three ways with with a, a regular feature in the magazine. Um, and this month it's with sriracha. Um, so 
just talking about how it become super popular, I mean, it is a really lovely sauce. There's so much flavor packed into it. Yeah, so definitely. I think the components are chili peppers, loads of garlic, and then I think it's just so, salt, salt sh- vinegar, and sugar. Yeah, bit of sugar. But you really get that amazing kind of like super savory. You, yeah, you get that like funky sort of. Uh, you like you would assume there'd be like you know ginger like uh, yeah. fish sauce yeah, like those yeah, Asian. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that it's like <clears throat> you, it just it just has when you read the ingredients list. It's sort of a surprise. It's, that quite, it's, simple, so, yeah. it's quite simple, but I suppose like. Yeah. That's the how delicious it is. But the it's great amazing. thing about it is it'll it'll sort of transform like a bowl of plain rice or noodles and veg into something really. Yeah. But we haven't just done that. We've done some quite spectacular recipes for it. Um, mm. So Sarah, or one of our food writers, Sarah Cook, uh, she's done a cheese, onion, and sriracha garlic bread. Yeah, pure which, filth. Yeah. Imagine they're like like. <laughs> the best garlic bread you've ever had and then mix sriracha into that mix <laughs> into then, the cheese yeah, into and, the, and put it inside yeah so you sort of like make this like I, I don't want to say paste but you make like a cheese um, ensemble of ingredients well it's um, like it's like butter mashed up yeah. with garlic and cheese and spring onions isn't yeah, it? yeah. and then loads and loads of Lo- mozzarella and, mozzarella and, and, and cheddar yeah, yeah. It's, and it is so so good yeah and then a bit more conventionally we have a um, five spice pork belly with a sriracha glaze on it yeah. which just looks incredible too um, and it's quite nice because I think you cook this pork belly really slowly and then you just use the sriracha right at the end right just at the to end, kind of glaze yeah. it so it keeps all that fire yeah. and freshness and zing yeah. um, and also it works really well to be see- like with, with that little bit of uh, honey I think is in the yeah. mix as well it just works really well and it glazes it and, and it is a really good ingredient to use if you're going to just add a little bit of oomph to like marinades or yeah, glazes yeah. or even you know for a nice kind of um, salad dressing or something yeah so yeah well, I, I use it in my stir fry yeah so if I'm like making my little corn flour uh, soy sauce yeah. mix I'll just put just some sriracha it. just to thicken it and yeah. then yeah throw that in at the end to create yeah. a little bit of sauce and we've also got a um, Hasselback squash Hasselback's quite um, quite a trendy thing at the yeah, moment yeah yeah it's basically ex- cutting, explain what it is it's cu- okay without a picture it's hard to describe but it's basically cutting something loads of times but not cutting it all the way through yeah um, so, it's so like basically a- imagine uh, so basically as it cooks those uh, cuts all separate yeah. and sort of it help the heat penetrate for one yeah. and create more surface area to get crisp yeah is that, is so that a fair? Cla- that, that, uh, so it's classically potato, so you've got loads and loads and loads of little slits that yeah, flavour goes into. but not all the way through, so it's not like actual cuts, yeah. but uh, like slices, but it's cut all the way through and it sort of opens up and flowers and sort yeah. of all the heat can get in between and you get nice crispy slices, but all held together at the bottom. And this one is a squash, which is um, got another kind of sriracha sesame glaze on and then pickled onions and yeah. a lovely tahini dressing, which yeah, is beautiful. Yeah. So that that's pretty cool. Um I mean, we're both massive fans of hot sauce. And actually, I think we've actually got a sriracha recipe online, don't we? We do, so if we you do. If you want to go away and make your own, you could, um, you could do that. Yeah, do that. Um, other sauces that I'm a huge fan of, the classic Tabasco. Because yeah. we were talking the other day about how, I mean, that's an Asian sauce. The American hot sauce is a little bit more... Um, well, it's slightly different in that, for a start, they'll use different chilli peppers chilies, to start I think, Yeah, the chilies is the... I think Tabasco is particularly unique in that um, there's one Tabasco pepper. I know this because I went on a trip to Avery Island in Louisiana and basically witnessed the making of Tabasco sauce. That must have been amazing, start to finish. 
it's bla- it, it's it's amazingly simple, but like the love that they put into it. So. Yeah. And it, it, I'm right in saying they age it for three years. That's, yeah. I mean, for, that's like a wine or whiskey or, yeah, you know, yeah. like mean, that sort of aging process in a barrel I isn't... Th- I think for a lot of things, like it might not be necessarily the ingredient that's super expensive. It's the process. And in this in this sense, it's time. Time, That's yeah. expensive because you need to sit it there. So what they do is they've got a... They've got a, a, a particular Tabasco pepper that's been there since like the 1800s that they cultivated. Um, and they used to grow it on Avery Island. They still do, but they didn't have enough room to grow enough pepper. So what they did is they took the, every year they harvest seeds and they send them to, um, it's mostly kind of South America, to farms that grow that particular that pepper, yeah, yeah. all from the same strain of the first ever Tabasco pepper. And then the peppers are all shipped back to Avery Island. Um, so again, this is like they're feeding into like the cost and time and yeah, like yeah, all yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. It's not like yeah. No. But the the basic Tabasco is made by um, chopping up the peppers, mixing it with salt, putting it in these barrels, with, which they were like bourbon barrels, but they've been treated. Treated, um, yeah, yeah. So they've been burnt out, scraped out the insides. So you don't you don't actually get any kind of whiskey flavour in there. And the mash, which is what you call the pepper and the salt, is left in there, as you said, for three years. Mm. Um, and then it's just strained and bottled, and that is Tabasco sauce. And that's yeah. why you get that particular unique flavour. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I which, think I really like that American hot sauce because it's not something that you're going to use in a huge quantity. Yeah. It's very, very particular yeah, flavourings. Yeah. And, and it's, it's very, like similar to like the Louisiana hot sauces and things like that, yeah. which I also I also Yeah, love. like Crystal, Crystal and yeah. you get like Frank's, I think yeah. is quite it's a, a, similar. Yeah. Frank's is a pretty big brand, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's well that's the that's the brand that you use for Buffalo sauce. I, I would I'd imagine that's like yeah. ubiquitous of that. So yeah. yeah. But, um, and yeah. Well, I'd like to mention some of my friend well my friend Glyn. Um, <laughs> why not? Good opportunity. I, think I love your friend Glenn. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's revolutionised my my sauce hot sauce game. Yeah. So him and his um, him and his business partner Pat uh, have a company called Eaten Alive in London, and they make kimchi and all sorts of fermented mm, good fermented things. Um, so they use um, Scotch bonnet chilies, and yeah. they sort of which are really really spicy. They're like the, well habanero is they're the, kind the of same spicy thing. but fruity. Really on fruity. Because yeah, it's one yeah. of my favourite chilies. Is it's not one dimensional. You get no. this amazing fruitiness yeah, along with. It's like apricots, people always say, is a, yeah. like, a flavour that people Along with this blistering heat. It's so really you hot. Get, yeah. um, but then they temper that with like sweet peppers, so just yeah. sort of like more sweetness, but uh, just to sort of round out the heat. Yeah. Um, yes, then salt it, ferment it for like, I think they only do two or three weeks. Like, yeah. We were talking about this earlier. I think they might potentially inoculate it with some of the already fermented so they they're putting those oh, so you've putting, already got the ferment in there so you, yeah those that, that, that sort of back, like back to good bacteria and you know those cultures you're sort of inoculating it to sort of speed that process up and then so um, is that a bit like having a mother or yeah, like, I guess. like in kombucha or having a like yeah, I, yeah. I guess in sourdough your like starter, sourdough starter yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you're yeah. giving it you're giving it the maturity without the time yeah, yeah pretty much yeah you're just helping it along its way it would find its way to there anyway yeah. but you're just sort of getting it on its way and and then they just blend it with raw cider vinegar and raw mm. cane sugar and it's so delicious yeah. it's so good the reason I know so much about it is I've attempted in a future issue to make my own fermented hot sauce yeah. and it's good it's a good recipe yeah, yeah, because it's really it, good. it gives you the basics to take it you can adapt it to how you want where we did a scotch bonnet one and a mild red chilli mix and yeah. it came out pretty well it's yeah, pretty yeah. hot but, um, but it's hot sauce. It should, yeah, uh, as, you know. yeah. But as you said, you can you can use different mixes of chilies. You can probably put some peppers in there. So yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a great base recipe. And essentially, all you really just need make is it your own. yeah. 
all you really need is is the chilies and the salt and a bit of water for that one. Yeah, so that's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah it's so really look cool. Look out for that one in a future issue. But yeah, yeah, thanks for that. And do do go online and um, and check out our homemade Either. sriracha. Yeah, why not? Um, and get making. Yeah, get making. <laughs> thanks a lot, Adam. See you later. Now let's head to Commons Tea House in Bath to learn more about the wonders of oolong tea. Hi, it's Alex here, and I'm in Bath with Rob Commons. Hello. Hello there. Uh, So Rob uh, runs Commons Tea with his wife, Michelle, and they've travelled all over the world to source the finest teas, and they opened a tea house. The first one was in Dorset, and the second one is in Bath on Monmouth Street, and you opened that in this in March 2016, didn't you? Yes. And I'm here now, and I've just had an amazing oolong tea, and you're going to tell us a bit more about oolong tea aren't you absolutely yes (laughs) so can you if you had to define oolong tea in like one sentence what would you say the the definition of oolong is that it's a partially oxidized tea right okay great that's it podcast over yes (laughs) (laughs) no um okay so where does it come from and like can you tell us a bit more about oolong in general so oolongs generally come from china Taiwan um, are the main producing areas, Taiwan especially being big producers and real specialists in oolongs. Okay. Um, although other countries do make them as well now, mm-hmm. but they're the two main places. Okay, and anywhere specifically in those countries? Well, the famous area in China particularly is the, the Wui area, Wui Mountains, oh, which is not, not a made-up name. <laughs> um, that is, that's in Fujian, so south, um, southeast China. Okay. Uh, and that's where the real top oolongs come from. Okay. Um, and why is that? Is the terroir there particularly great Absolutely, for yes. It's, um, the, the key with those, the really famous um, oolongs from that area are called uh, rock teas. And okay. they basically, they, they take a lot of the flavour from the minerals which come out of the rocks that they grow beneath. So they grow beneath sort of cliffs. Uh, And the the minerals come out of the rocks into the soil and it gives this unique mineral content to this tea, which when uh, when it's matched with the processing that these teas go through, and it's quite a detailed processing, um, it really brings this mineral quality out. And they're just amazing, amazing flavours. So when you say that it's underneath cliffs, are they high up um, or is it kind of shaded? No, the, the, well, the, the nature of the land is that they have these tall, like, cast scenery um, mount hills, so it's just protruding rocks. Yeah. And so, the, obviously, the farmers fit in where they can. So mm-hmm. some of the bushes are found up cliff edges, but most of them is on the flat okay. sort of valley floors beneath. Okay, and what, what kind of um, characteristics, flavour characteristics, are they going to... Produce. Well, for those, it's, as I say, this sort of mineral quality, yep. um, sort of deep, roasty, um, sort of very sweet, um, some of them. Um, some of them are baked, so they've got this extra flavour. It's a whole range. I mean, oolongs as a, as a, as a f- type of tea is so broad in mm. its flavour. So um, it, it's endless. It's like in wine, isn't it? I'm doing a wine course at the moment, mm. um, and you're learning about different grapes and there's so many varieties within each grape variety it's it's quite overwhelming but um yeah absolutely i mean with with tea you're, it's all stems from one plant the camellia sinensis mm-hmm. plant but that's broken into camellia sinensis asamica and camellia sinensis sinensis which sinensis means from china right asamica means from india so those are the two main varieties 
And that from... is that where Assam tea co- that gets its name Ex- from? Exactly, yeah. Oh, so, so it's literally... Assamica is northern India, so Assam. So that's where right. that, that particular variety was first found as an right. indi- indigenous um, tea variety. Mm-hmm. But from those varieties comes all the, the cultivars, cultivated variations, mm-hmm. which uh, are either... Well, the cultivated variations are, are man-made sort of choices. So they yeah. blending two tea types together. Um, and, also, of course, there's natural variations as well. So when you have that, it's exactly the same as wine. You have all those... Um, different ver- varieties that that give different flavors, and then when you combine it with the terroir, the the the, the soil type, the rock type, uh, the weather, then it's endless. The, wow. the okay. sort of flavors you get. So oolong in particular, what's the process um, of making? Because I understand it's quite a unique process. Yes, I mean there's there's it, there's no exact way, but in general, the key, as I said at the beginning, was that it's um, partially oxidized, which is when you when you pick a tea leaf, it starts to oxidise. The longer you leave it to oxidise, the sort of darker it gets in colour and the more bitterness comes out of it. So that's why a, a black tea, for example, a normal breakfast tea, has that bitterness, that astringency. Um, with oolongs, it depends. You can leave it for a short amount of time mm-hmm. and get a very light, sweet flavour or leave it for a longer time and get a more deep, uh, almost bitter flavour. Um, so what they do when they pick the leaves, they they basically, to begin with, they do what's called withering, which is they lay all the leaves out uh, under the sun generally and allow the moisture content to be taken down to sort of 4 or 5%. Uh, and that allows the leaves to then um, basically pro- progress properly. Uh, they take them inside and they, depending on the type of oolong, They'll either lightly bruise the leaf by just turning it over with their hands, um, and or they'll they'll roll them. And what those that does is it promotes um, the oxidation, which okay. is where that's the the enzymes combining to to promote this flavour. So um, for some of them, that's done for a very short amount mm-hmm. of time. For some of them, it's left for longer. Okay. And, and is that going to be? Is the quality going to? Um, in- as it as you leave it longer, does the quality increase? Not necessarily. It just depends on the type okay. of oolong you're making. So um, a good, strong oolong could be really high quality, be left mm-hmm. for a long time. But, for example, there's a, an oolong in Taiwan called um, Wenshan Bouchong, Wenshan Baozhong, um, which is very, very, very lightly oxidised, but that's considered a very high quality okay. tea. So it just it depends, and then the quality comes from the overall kind of attention to detail in the processing as you go through. And are there different types, apart from the um, the amount of oxidation, are there t- different types of oolong? Yes, I mean, uh, there's lots of ways of categorising them, but basically in China and Taiwan, they categorise it by um, the place where it's from, um, the, the cultivar often, and also a process. So it... It's very. It's a very hard topic to really okay. generalise, but um, you de- different different types. Um, there are famous ones. For example, um, the brilliantly named Dongding from Taiwan, Dong Great. which is named after a mountain. So that's the key. But that's got a very set characteristic, which, which is which is it's a baked oolong. It's okay. quite it's quite strong. It's about sixty percent oxidised, baked. Um, so it's got this really 
lovely deep flavor without being bitter okay um uh, famous ones in Ch- in um in china especially ones like tiguan yin which is a, a quite sweet oolong um i've mentioned baozhong which is from taiwan very light and mm-hmm. almost green um and uh, then what about the one that i just had because that was lovely i had a really lovely honey um, yeah. taste what was that that's quite a unique tea it's called mijan gaba um, and it's a combination of two very unique processes. So mijan um, r- refers to the fact it's bug-bitten. So no bugs right. involved in the actual tea, but it, it's, it's basically bitten. You've given so. me crushed bugs, haven't you? <laughs> but the, basically, the, this, in Taiwan, which is where it's from, there's a, a special area called Miaoli or Shinzu, um, where these tiny little jacids, little leaf hoppers, green leaf hoppers, um, live on the plants and then at certain times in the year they suck the the leaf sap out of the leaves okay and when they start doing this it develops a a chemical reaction in the plant and it also starts the oxidation process whilst the leaf is growing Ah, which is quite different Mm -hmm. so generalizing a little bit when when that is then processed it brings out a lovely sweetness right to the tea that sort of honey sweetness Mm. that you tasted um so that is the same as a tea called Oriental Beauty, which or Bei Hao, which is a, another type of oolong, which is very famous in Taiwan. Um, the difference between that one and the one you drank um, was that the it's from a different area. Right. So these little green leaf hoppers, because of global warming, it's believed. I was in Taiwan about six weeks ago, and I was talking to a farmer, and he was saying that these green leaf hoppers are now moving higher. Right. So, so it's. Therefore, the, it's too hot down at the bottom. Oh, gosh, okay. So they're moving higher. It's affecting everything, isn't it? And, um, <laughs> but, so they're moving into areas where the farmers don't usually have them. And so this particular farmer um, found these on his land. He usually makes gabba oolong, which is a whole new, different type, which okay. we can talk about if you want. But he then combined the two to make mijan gabba which is very unique, hasn't been made before, may oh. not be made again. Oh, wow. And gabba in, like... Three words, how would you describe the characteristics? Gabba enhances the sweetness okay. um, in the tea. Gamma, gabba is um, a, a natural chemical in the tea which right. creates a sweetness. It's a okay. whole crazy process which wow. can be looked up. But cool. Um, and so the way you serve it here is really, it's really beautiful. And like your cafe is very, it's very zen and you have all of the amazing crockery and uh, the teaware. But... Um, can you just talk about how you serve the, the oolong because it's really special? Yes, I mean, we with oolongs, the, the kind of nice thing about it is that you can reinfuse the leaf and mm-hmm. you, you kind of want to get the best out of the leaf by reinfusing it. Mm-hmm. So we use um, what's called gong fu cha, which is the, it's a Chinese original ceremony which involves a tiny little yixing style teapot, a little pouring jug and then a tiny little sipping cup. Yeah, it's beautiful, it's it's like thimble like size so the idea is that you you can reinfuse the tea about eight ten times okay and as you do the the tea changes in its taste each infusion so to get the the full magic out of the tea you want to go through eight infusions Mm -hmm. it's often said the third fourth infusion is the other best right in in oolongs so it just makes you savor the tea gives you that full range of flavors and it's just lovely to sit and relax and yeah, and feel zen. Yeah. This is—I don't know if you've heard this new word. Uh, well, it's not a new word, but it's come about um, in England. Ikigai, 
which is Japanese right. for like cougar, you know, that just oh, right. taking yes. time out. And um, so I think this is perfect for that, really. Um, but if you want to learn more about oolong tea, you're, um, you're launching a tea like workshop, uh, aren't you, downstairs? Um, and there's going to be um, specific, you know, white tea or oolong tea um, sessions, but also general tea tastings. And that's going to be on a Saturday to start, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, that's um, from February. So it'll be up and running by the time this comes out it will indeed yeah. great all right well thanks so much for having us and it was great to learn a bit more about oolong thank you very much thanks that was this week's olive magazine podcast if you liked this episode please head over to itunes and leave a review we'd love to hear from you for more information on things in this episode you can visit our website olivemagazine.com you can pick up a copy of our new february issue now or go and download the app version bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat